0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.
1: Welcome to After the Buzzer our podcast where we talk to sports leaders about what keeps them busy during the ever-changing and fast-moving world of sports. I'm Bob Wallace, partner and chair of the sports law group at Thompson Coburn, a nationwide law firm that has offices in St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining me for another episode of our podcast. And again, we have a great guest who's had an unbelievable career in college athletics for the past 33 years he has led the Missouri Valley Conference as its commissioner. And that person is Doug Elgin. Doug is the ninth commissioner of the MVC, having been selected to lead the conference in 1988. In the intervening years, Doug and his veteran staff have been a catalyst in turning the Missouri Valley Conference to prominence in college athletics. And Chicago Loyola's recent runs to the Final Four and this year's Elite Eight are prime examples of the league's success. Doug has seen addition and subtraction during his tenure. In 1992, the NBC added the women's programs into its programs, and despite the losses of Wichita State and Creighton, added the previously mentioned Chicago Loyola and Valparaiso to its ranks. Prior to joining the NBC, Doug has worked for four institutions and in two conference offices. One of those institutions was Lafayette College in Pennsylvania, his alma mater, where he was a standout college football player. But his 33 years at, M- at the MVC have been truly remarkable. He has made St. Louis the host of the popular MVC basketball tournament and a frequent stop on the NCAA basketball trail in both women and men's basketball. In addition to his accessing St. Louis to college shoes, Doug has been a member of the NCAA NIT tournament committee, the NCAA administrative cabinet, the NCAA men's basketball oversight committee, and the NABC Ad Hoc Committee on the NCAA Selection, Seating, and Bracketing. He has also served a term on the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee and a hand-in-landing the 2005 Final Four for St. Louis, and then led the community's efforts in making the Final Four one of the best I can remember, and I have been to everyone since 1991, until the canceled one of last year and the reduced crowd one of this year. Commissioner Elgin recently announced his retirement, Leaving his post at the end of June, and what an opportune time this is to speak to him about his career and college athletics in general. Doug, welcome to After the
0: Buzzer. Thank you, Bob. Always good to see you and and to be with you.
1: So tell me a little bit, you know, uh, and we we joke with each other about our our college football careers a lot. I think you were a, uh, what were you a fullback at Lafayette?
0: I was a tailback. Tailback. Tailback, uh, and you were a a Splendid was, running back at Yale, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think we. You probably played a lot more than I. As a, I had a son who played at Yale. He was a lot better than me. As Carm Kozer, my coach used to say all the time. Uh, he's, every time Grant made a catch at Yale, he'd say, "His dad played for me. He's a lot better than his dad." <laughs> <laughs> but Doug, oh. you also played. You also played for a guy I work with, Harry Gamble, who was. Uh, was he the, Was he your head coach?
0: He was. He actually came to my high school and recruited uh, the area that I lived in. I I came from a small town in Western Maryland, about an hour west of Baltimore, Washington, and uh, and that was to me, to me was a great opportunity. I was the first of of my family to go away to college, uh, youngest of four, and uh, just the the opportunity to play uh, a sport in college was really pretty special.
1: Yeah. What what made you choose Lafayette?
0: Um, really, my high school coach knew Harry Gamble. Uh, they had coached uh, in the vicinity in in New Jersey, and um, I'd, I'd never heard a lot of Lafayette. Quite honestly, growing up, I, I wanted to go to Maryland, but I wasn't good enough to play there. So uh, it was a good fit for me—a good academic school—and uh, really gave me an opportunity to to, to grow as a, as a young man and as an athlete and as a uh, in, in my academics.
1: Yeah, I always say when. I, uh, I was a backup running back at Yale, and as a backup running back in college at Ivy League, you know that your career uh, is not gonna be a, as a player going forward. What, what made you decide that you wanted to make athletics your, your career?
0: Well, when I got out of college, I, I took a job. The only job I, I, I offer I had was at Prudential Insurance, the corporate headquarters in Newark, New Jersey. Um, I hated it from day one, and I left uh, after a year uh, to coach high school football and, and teach at a, at a New Milford, Connecticut high school. And uh, I, I did that for a year, not quite an entire year. I, I was accepted into the Ohio Youth Sports Administration program, which was the first of its kind in the country. And that really gave me an opportunity to get into the business, first with an, first with an internship at a small college in Maryland. Uh, and then I got a full-time job at, at Miami Dade Community College South in Miami. Uh, and That led me to uh, a couple of other opportunities. I think the big break in my athletics career came when I went to the University of Virginia uh, in 1980. Uh, I left Lafayette, my alma mater, where I was sports information director, media relations. I went to Virginia and that was the era of Ralph Sampson. Uh, in, my oh. three years of, in my three years there, he was the national player of the year three years in a row. Michael Jordan was in North Carolina and that really put me in the, Really, the, the, the center of the universe, so to speak, in college basketball. At
1: the beginning of your career, you talk about being in one place and another place. And uh, as you look at your career, and, and I know you, I'm sure you get a lot of inquiries from young people who say, I want to be in sports. What kind of advice do you give them when, I mean, it seems like you got to be willing to go anywhere?
0: Well, you do. You have to be willing to. You you have to be mobile, as they say in the business. But you you really have to take advantage of every opportunity to get experience. I didn't have any administrative experience as a collegiate uh, as a student. Uh, the athletics was was certainly important. But for for young people that are at Mizzou or other places, um, Maryvale that come to see me uh, just for advice, I say get involved in athletics as a volunteer. While you're in college, and that really opens doors for you, because you'll find that it's it it can be who you know, and you got to have a good work ethic. You've you got to be passionate about it. Uh, those who find sports as their passion and get into the business and work hard at it usually do advance. And, and certainly, I had a couple of really great opportunities uh, along the way in my early in my career. So, who who would
1: you say was Doug Elgin's mentor. Who, who, who's your mentor in this business?
0: I had a couple. Uh, Gene Corrigan was the Athletics Director at Virginia, and he hired me, later became the the Athletics Director at Notre Dame, and following that, the, the ACC Commissioner. Uh, my first job in a conference office was in Tampa with the Sunbelt Conference, different set of schools than they have now. Uh, Vic Bubis was a Commissioner of that league, and he was a former Duke basketball coach. So that really gave me access to not only uh, important mentors, but to, uh, to to get to know people in the business in high places, and certainly the the Dave Gavits, the Tom Jernstedts, uh everybody that was involved in college basketball uh, were were connected to the to, to my mentors, and that that really gave me an opportunity to grow uh, and to learn from the, the people that I work for.
1: So, thirty three years as the commissioner of the MVC. Uh, are you the longest standing commissioner in college sports
0: right now? I am. Yeah. For another two months. I'm the longest tenured um, at a, at a multi-sport conference and one asterisk there, Patty Viverito 38 years Wow! what she's doing. She was with the gateway conference, which merged into the Missouri Valley. So she is really the longest serving CCA commissioner and uh, a single sport league with, with the football. And, you know, She's, she's been um, a rock here, the, the continuity of staff here. We've got four people who've worked 30 years or more uh, working together on a, on a 13-person staff. That's really been the key to our success here is the continuity of staff, the dedication, uh, the commitment that they've made to, to their jobs and to, to staying with the Missouri Valley.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that must mean that you're a good guy to work for. Or work no, with. I'm sure you you'll you'll turn it as work with. But that with. I'm sure that you, the fact that you can keep a staff that you know for over 30 years uh, says something about your leadership style. So tell me, what is your lead? What does a commissioner do, and what is your leadership style, Doug?
0: Well, I, I think I don't view anyone in this office as working for me. They work for themselves and they work for the schools, and and that shows. And uh, the, the the dedication is unbelievable. And I know you probably see this and at your law firm. Uh, and in other industries, but you know they they sacrifice a lot of weekends. They're away on Thanksgiving a lot. Uh, they work over Christmas holiday. Um, there's no time off, so to speak, particularly in a pandemic year like we're going through. But I I just have great admiration and respect for the people that work here, and and for those on our campuses. We've had in my time great campus leadership here, uh, the, the presidents and the athletic administrators, and uh, the key for their stats is the coaches that they hire and, and that's, that's why we've been nationally competitive in virtually every team sport are, are the great coaches that we've had coming through our doors.
1: Yeah, you just lost a, a really good one from going to Oklahoma from, from your conference. Uh, I, I was talking to your, to your lawyer during the past uh, week about uh Loyola Chicago and I said, this guy's a really good coach. You could tell the way they were they played in the tournament, how well coached they were.
0: Uh, no question. That's, that's Porter Mosier, who was mentored by Rick Majeris at St. Louis U. After he had been fired at Illinois State, he came here to work on Rick's staff. And that really gave him great insight, great experience, uh, was a great learning experience for Porter Moser to work under Rick Majeris here in St. Louis. And uh, when Loyal, when we lost... Uh, Wichita State, and I'm sorry, when we had turnover and we were looking for a school to add, that that really attracted my attention to Loyola was the, the Porter Moser connection. So, and it worked out. They were in the final four four years after they entered. Right. that
1: has been great. So, I mean, I'm not going to quite let you off the hook as easy as uh, the people there. Or the, what's your leadership style? How does Doug Elgin get? These people that have been around for 30 years to march in the same direction. What, what what's your style in doing that?
0: I th- I think I'm personable. I think uh, my my strengths um, include the fact that I'm that I'm service oriented, and I, I deal with our membership. Um, every question is important to answer, um, and I and I think I, I don't I won't say that I run a tight ship here. I think we have freedoms here that you don't have on campuses. Nobody has to be in here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and they, they they work late at night, they work weekends, so that that license, that freedom is important to keep people here. but i I do think we've we've always had a culture here that we're a team. Um, we have several leaders here, not just me. Patty Berito is is a commissioner for the football leagues, the Missouri Valley Football Conference, the Pioneer Football League, and other other senior staffers have stepped up in their the areas that they oversee uh, really in a big time way.
1: Do you, do you remember, Doug, that I was the sideline reporter for the for the Gateway uh, Football Conference, and you're, just like every other talent, I, I was I only did it for a year because I didn't get enough FaceTime on TV.
0: <laughs> you're still a legend, Bob. You're still a legend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No question. So tell me
1: what, what is the role so as the commissioner? You you deal with a lot of different constituencies. You've got your presidents. You've got your coach your athletic directors. You probably got the most challenging in the coaches because coaches are always very challenging. You got your student athletes. So, what 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 does Doug Elgin think is the most important thing that he does as a commissioner of the Missouri Valley Conference?
0: Well, I think that's that's even changed over time as we as the industry has become more complex. Um, you know, I think it's just managing people as much as anything and making sure that that. Uh, all of our objectives are are, are reached, or we, we we try to accomplish those objectives every year. Um, we try to set the bar high for ways that we can improve. And I think if you look at our men's basketball tournament, for example, when we brought it here, we were on pretty shaky legs with that event, Arch Madness. We brought it to the old Kiel Auditorium, uh, and and I think you know my role is just doing what I can do to to steer the ship, so to speak, and and others in, on it are, are pulling hard and I know I'm being very vague and very broad with what I'm answering here, but uh, the, the modern commissioner has a different approach to the overall uh, array of responsibilities that I had coming in here. It was much less complex. Uh, we've, we've evolved with social media and with, with our television platforms uh, in ways that are that you couldn't have predicted back in the late 1980s. So again, I think I, I give a lot of credit to staff because it's deserved. And, and that's really what has made this this conference office operation work is that we've got continuity, everybody's focused, and we, we pull hard together as a, as a team.
1: It seems like it was yesterday, but it might have been, what, five, six, seven years ago where all the uh, conferences were expanding and losing things uh talk about you know sort of the and kind of goes into your last uh comment about it's a changing uh responsibilities from when you first started all this expansion and 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 additions of teams and conferences merging talk about the challenges that presented to the Missouri Valley Conference which is uh a mid-major conference it's not really the Big 10 or the Big 12 talk about those challenges a little bit
0: well i think you know, nobody really focused on on conference realignment. It was almost below the radar until Penn State went to the Big Ten, At an independent school, a football power in the East, went to the Big Ten in the early 1990s. And then people started to pay attention. They they began to understand the power of media contracts, the revenues that are possible. And that's when uh, you know the 1990s were really kind of wild and crazy. Uh, for us, uh, I've been here 30 plus years. We've had three institutions leave our membership. Tulsa left in 1996. Creighton left in, 19, in 2013, and Wichita State left in 2017. And we've added five institutions that are still members of our institute uh, of our conference over that time. And and what you notice is it's not very often that anything but your best members leave. So uh, that's that's a painful part of the of the overall uh, responsibility of a, of a conference commissioner. When you lose a member institution that's been important to you, you usually have to turn and, and go below and take someone from another conference. And that that's, uh, that puts a strain on relationships, as you can well imagine. Uh, we've taken Southwest Missouri State uh, during my years here, Northern Iowa, Evansville, Loyola Chicago, and Valparaiso, and that's half of our current membership wasn't here when I started as a commissioner back in nineteen eighty eight but uh, it's, 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 it's invigorating when you add new members that are a fit uh, that it, that eventually raise the bar for the rest of the membership uh, and not only competitively but academically and with the overall leadership aspect of what a new a new institution brings to us in the people that work for the for the athletics so
1: Missouri Valley, known known primarily as a basketball conference, but when you're attracting the Valparaisos and Chicago Loyolas, they obviously have to be a fit in some of your other sports. Talk about some of your other sports, Doug, and, and what role they play in, one, attracting them, and two, in the overall Missouri Valley portfolio.
0: Well, I think we're known as a basketball conference, and historically we're the second oldest conference in the country, uh, behind only the Big Ten. We were founded in 1907, Dr. James Naismith, who you probably know that name, Bob uh, and and Kate, the, uh, the they he was the inventor of the game of basketball, and he was the idea of Kansas, uh, and and so our, the basketball has been our key sport through the years. We had football as a conference, long story. It went away. It reformed uh, through the Gateway Conference with some of our institutions. And when you look at our portfolio of sports, uh, of team sports. And and individual sports, uh, we we play at very high levels, and and arguably every team sport, our volleyball is arguably as strong as our men's and women's basketball. Certainly, our baseball through the years has been very very successful. Uh, men's soccer, uh, softball, all of those sports have had their moments where they have teams advance deep into the NCAA postseason. So I think I think the um, it, it's. Pretty similar across the board in our league in terms of the quality of coaches that we have, uh, the quality of student athletes. We've got all Americans. You look at our Hall of Fame. We started a Hall of Fame in the uh, in the late 1990s. Um, Joe Mitch was the, the the guy who brought that to us. He was part of our staff for for a long, long time, and that was his idea. It coincided with our centennial year in in, ni- in 2007, and we brought back the Oscar Robertsons and the uh larry birds and and the some of the great players of of our past in that in that particular year for a for a function that we had downtown a live t v event and and you you just have to be very proud of the tradition and the the overall sports umbrella that we have here is very very strong
1: so if you, as you just mentioned for for those that are listening uh you know, Oscar Robinson is a Missouri Valley Conference uh, player from what? right? Wasn't he Cincinnati? Was well, they part of your conference at one point?
0: Early sixties. I'm, I'm looking at a poster over here. We had Wes Unseld, Larry Bird, of course. Right. Um. Wes Unseld, uh, Xavier McDaniel. We had um, all kinds of great. Uh, Hershey. You know, Hershey Hawkins. Hershey Hawkins, uh, Doug Collins, uh, just a, a ton of great athletes who've come through our door in in basketball. We had something like a the top fifty all-time NBA players that were Missouri Valley products.
1: You brought the Missouri Valley tournament. You said you were on maybe the last legs when you brought uh, the conference tournament here to St. Louis. Why? Why did you make that decision? And your office is located here in St. Louis. Why St. Louis?
0: Well, that's part of it. Our offices are here, and I had been in a conference where I would literally move to our conference city, uh, one of our one of our campuses each year to run the men's basketball tournament wherever the highest bid to host the tournament came in. Uh, I was in Charlotte, I was in uh, Tampa, I was in uh, Mobile, Alabama, uh, Western Kentucky and Bowling Green with different years, I was served in, in that role in the Sunbelt Conference. And it was very difficult to recreate a quality tournament with all the details that you need to provide the best possible fan and, and student athlete experience. Uh, so we, we brought it here, I think, because more, more importantly than anything else, we wanted to take away the advantage that the home court gave the host team. And I can remember in 1990, we, we were at Illinois State. Southern Illinois had to play Illinois State in their home arena. It was packed, 11,000 fans. It was crazy and wild. Rich Heron, the late, great Rich Heron, was the coach at Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois lost in the last minute. Um, on, on a play, <laughs> I won't mention the play, but uh, it, it was one that could have gone either way. And that home court was just too important to give an advantage to the to the host team. So we we brought it here. Uh, we had an art uh, an organization called Civic Entrepreneurs Organization or CEO uh, that basically was a combination and emerging a, a of of small businesses who went together on. On projects in the community and bringing events to St. Louis. Uh, I felt that St. Louis was sort of the hub of the wheel in our conference. Uh, we had a, a five state footprint at the time, basically the same uh, overall geography that the Cardinals Nation has in terms of bringing fans to St. Louis. Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, Kansas were, were five school, uh, states where we had member institutions. And it, it was just really important for us to bring it to a central location, particularly where our staff could work on it all year round. And 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 it has become over time, it's the second longest uh, neutral site tournament in the country for a conference. The Big Big East has been at the at the Madison Square Garden uh, since the late 1970s, and we are the second longest to be at neutral site over that period of time. Wow, that's unbelievable.
1: How was the pandemic? Affected
0: the NBC. Wow, um, it, it's it's rocked the the entire industry. Quite honestly, um, from an economic standpoint, um, we saw a sixty eight percent reduction in our revenues last year. Uh, we were the last, we were one of the last events in college basketball to play uh, a year ago when we when we when when they shut down basically when the pandemic shut down. American sports, basically, uh, we knew that when the second in- NBA player uh, tested positive and they they um, they stopped the NBA season, that that March Madness was at risk, and certainly all the all the postseason events were as well. Uh, we had to cancel our women's basketball tournament the the week after our men's basketball tournament was completed here in St. Louis. We were in Moline, Illinois, for our women's tournament, and we had to cancel that. Um, it's been a struggle. Uh, it's been a, a, a major burden for for many people, including student athletes and their families. Most importantly, those are the ones that have taken the most uh, of the burden uh, in the way they've had to re-engineer their lives and their their sports careers. Um, our our staff, I think, did a wonderful job with the with the uh, COVID testing protocols and doing everything they could to provide guidance to keep our our teams safe and. We were the only conference in the country to play all of our men's basketball games, conference men's basketball games. All 90 games were played. Some were postponed but we rescheduled them. Uh, we played 86 of our 90 women's basketball games and we played both of our tournaments with the exception of one men's uh, team that was uh, uh, disqualified for, to continue play here in St. Louis. I'm proud of what our staff has done certainly to lead the way and and that guidance that we provided to our tourist to camps. What I mean that that's
1: a failure. I Man, what did you do that you had, that you had so much success? What was was your protocol? Something
0: that other well, conferences didn't do. Do you know? I don't know about that, but certainly the way in which we adjusted our schedule uh, to to be able to re reschedule games when series were postponed. Uh, what we did we used to have a kind of a helter skelter approach to our schedule where a, a team would go on the road and back home and on the road again and back home uh, and they would have nine trips you have nine opponents in the league you have nine road trips and you play each of those teams at home nine times what we did is change the sequence of our games and we would go on the road to play two consecutive games at one opponent at the same opponent and back it, it cut our travel in half basically and and that isn't that isn't preferred because you're playing Saturday night at Loyola Chicago and then Sunday night at Loyola Chicago if you're Drake. Play those back-to-back games. You have less recovery time between games. You have less ability to adjust your strategies to meet that opponent 24 hours later, and they, the coaches bought into that. They, they knew it wouldn't be to their advantage in a lot of ways, but it mitigated risk. It gave them a greater opportunity to complete their schedule. You know, I think our, our testing, uh, we, we followed the CDC guidelines, the NCAA guidance and in test protocols. And most importantly, there was a discipline among our not only our student athletes and our coaches, but all those that dealt on a daily basis with the with the players and the coaches, trainers, student managers, uh, people that work in the arenas, they all had to understand you ask, you 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 don't take any risks and in go into the functions where you could pick up the virus and spread it to others. And I think that that was one of the one of the reasons why we we certainly were able to um, finish as well as we did.
1: Yeah, well, congratulations. I, I know uh, you and I have had a number of conversations about student athletes and stuff. I know that uh, as you approach your job and you and doing what's best for the MBC, the student athletes always uh, very important to you. But, College athletics is involved in a whole bunch of issues uh, with college athletics. Uh, and, you know, the difference between the Power Five uh, that wants autonomy and the conference like yours and, you know, the name, image, and likeness. Talk about some of the challenges that, you know, the Missouri Valley Conference has as opposed to the Big Ten and the Power Five conferences and dealing with their athletes and, and, and you know, the NIL things that are coming up.
0: Well, I'll, I'll start with the transfer regulations that are changing, and we anticipate that there will be a one-time transfer exception where a student athlete at any institution can transfer to another institution and play immediately. And what that, what that might signal, uh, what, what a lot of people believe is that when the, when the players come to, uh, you worry, mid majors, you mentioned the the high majors or the autonomy five, the SEC. Big Twelve, Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC—those power conferences—the uh, the allure of of student athletes to play at those schools is is very strong. And I think when you have student athletes come to our level, so to speak, mid major, uh, the the tendency might be to transfer to a higher place. Um, doesn't always work out, but I think if you look at right now the, the transfer portal, the, there's a it's ba- it's basically a, um, a a mechanism where student athletes can re- can report that they want to transfer by a certain date, and everybody in the in the country can see who is available as a transfer on that transfer portal. Um, and and what happens now is you've got literally hundreds and hundreds of student athletes that are in that transfer portal that want to transfer to another school, and I think it might signal that leagues like ours become um, almost farm clubs for the high majors. And that that hasn't proven to be the case for the Missouri Valley. I think we've benefited more from transfers coming into our conference than we have those going out of it, certainly in the last two or three years. And you look at Drake, they're th- three key players were all transfers from other institutions. But I do think that uh, the argument against having that freedom is is one that, if, if coaches can, can Pull up roots and, and take another job. Student athletes ought to have that same opportunity. Um, you do worry about the the, uh, the negative aspect of student athletes not really being able to deal with adversity, uh, fight their way through any issues they might have, whether it's a lack of playing time or a relationship they might have on a campus, or, or reason that they want to go closer to home. Uh, they're good. They're positive and negative. Uh, views of of the transfer regulations but i think I think we're going to survive it's going to be fine it'll work out and i think the the uh, ncaa is helping conferences and institutions to work their way through that so when you say a uh, one
1: time is it forever so not just this year uh during the pandemic where they gave people an extra year it's that 's a rule going forward you can transfer once
0: uh if, if, it, if you're in good academic standing, uh, you can transfer once in any sport, and I think it's it, it hasn't it hasn't passed the final hurdle. It will pass the membership. Uh, I'm sure that it will pass, but that will be in play, and that is happening. And and there are a lot more transfers now, I believe, than there were five or ten years ago.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I obviously I don't look at the transfer portal, but you know, every day there's a someone else transferring from you know one school or another uh and I've seen actually a couple of people transfer like two years in a row <laughs> uh, yeah. so it, it's very interesting. What about the uh, name image and likeness uh kind of controversy that's going on? How do you see well, that playing uh, out
0: well i I think it's it's very difficult because a lot of state legislatures have passed uh, laws you know they passed litigation or they passed a legislation that enables student athletes to receive compensation for variety of, of uh, involvement you know with with auto dealerships or with uh, social media uh, being a spokesperson for for a, a particular product um, and I think I think the NCA is doing the best they can to stay in front of that to to create regulations that are that are more natural and that are that don't um, render, Different states to have different rules and to have advantages or disadvantages in the recruiting process. It's, it's very complex. I don't pretend to understand all of it. I don't have to understand all of it, obviously, with my parts are in 60 days. But, <laughs> but I do think it's it's it is going to provide student athletes with an ability. If you're a music student and you can you can play in an orchestra and make money on the side, why not in athletics? If if there's something that you can do uh, that can bring in a, a, revenue or can can put you in a better place financially, why not find the way to do that? And I think I think that's that's what the NCA's pr- project is in in short term is finding ways to create uh, an even even playing field and for w- with within reason f- ways for athletes to uh, to be compensated. and not to not to suggest that if, if a student athlete goes to Yale as you did, Bob, and in this day and age, certainly, when you look at the benefits, uh, the free education, um, all the benefits that you have with nutrition and training and educational uh, academic support, that that's worth a ton of money. So you're, in essence, they're being paid already with the full scholarship.
1: Right. So do you see, you know, the difference? And and obviously, this past uh, NCAA, we had a controversy about the the differences between the women's and men's basketball tournament. Uh, and you, when you talk about name, image, and likeness, I, I've heard on one, one argument is that the woman athlete who's a, uh, in some sport, tennis, for instance, probably may have a better opportunity to make money on the outside of the, of the starting quarterback on a Division I football team. How do you think the inequities in men and women's Sports will play out over the next few years.
0: Well, I think uh, without thinking about NIL, the name, image, and likeness part of it, uh, what just became apparent uh, this March was the differences between the management and the support and the resources that are poured into the men's tournament versus the women's, and there was uh, there it, it, it's inexcusable. It really is, and I think that the uh, the NCAA and the member Conferences and institutions are going to have to oversee that. They're going to have to attack uh, the inequities, make sure that that it's comparable, um, that it that it follows Title Nine. Uh, what was shown in in a graphic way was the difference between the setup of the weight training rooms. Uh, the men had a lavish, um, you know, weight training facility with with every kind of of um, Equipment, you can imagine, the women's was shown with a stack of barbells. That was it, and that was uh, obviously an embarrassment. Uh, It's something that, uh, first of all, let me say this, the NCAA championship staff did an incredible job to make sure that both March Madness on the men's and women's side could be safely guided through uh, to to completion. They, They played the entire tournaments all the way through. Uh, that there were oversights there, uh, it won't happen again. I'm certain. Uh, you know, I, I I think we've got to be very careful to make sure that 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 we follow Title IX regulations and that that we do uh, value the, the women's experience and the men's experience equally. And and you know that that's something that can't happen again. And I would I would assume that it won't happen again. So.
1: You are, as I mentioned, you you you've been involved in NCAA governance for a lot. And one of the things that uh, you you did was well, you're on the men's basketball committee. Talk about that experience. That seemed uh, that's a that's sort of like the highlight of uh, an administrator's uh, career in in the NCAA. Being on that committee that's a that's a big time responsibility. Talk about that a little bit, Doug.
0: Yeah, it was it was really um, a tremendous professional experience for me and. What helped me was that I got to know a lot of the people in, in powerful positions, uh, people in of power, and through the the mentors that I'd mentioned earlier, and you know I think the focus that I had here on, on basketball was was a, I think a good fit. I didn't have to worry about football certainly in my oversight, and it really it really gave me insights into how the tournament field is selected, uh, what programs need to do to put themselves in the best Possible position to, to be selected as an at-large entry into the NCAA tournament, and it, it, I, I really had some great professional relationships with other people that were on those committees. Um, I served four years on it from nineteen ninety-nine, I think, to two thousand two, and uh, you know, I would be on site managing a, a site at each stage of the tournament in those four years, uh, and it, it was it was really I think good for the Missouri Valley to have someone. In the room, so to speak, there are nine people on that committee, one chair, uh, and you, you could speak t- to your teams if you were. If questions were asked, um, you, you tried to be as fair as you could possibly be, in, in the way you looked at at uh, institutions, whether they were in A5 conferences or whether we, they were in mid-major conferences, and I think that that really was a, a real growth experience for me to be on the committee
1: so the you, you, it's always good to have somebody in the room, so were you ever in the room, and then one of your coaches came back to you and said, "Why didn't we make the tournament and to have any of those conversations with a d s or coaches
0: well, absolutely, and you know you you um you always had to do what you could to put your teams in that position, and that's not only helping them get the strongest schedules that they could possibly handle uh but You know, working through the year and talking with other committee members. Uh, When I wasn't on the committee, like this year, I had two two individuals that called me about every two weeks to talk about our teams. And you had to do the research. You had to provide the bullet points and the information as to why I thought that we should have at least two teams in the tournament. And it worked out that way with Loyola and Drake uh, making it into the NCAA tournament this year.
1: Well, and and you talked about. Being in the room and being part of that. And, and, and I think part of having you be so, in such a prominent figure in the college athletic world is you were able to bring a tournament to St. Louis uh, in 2005. Uh, and I, we had beautiful weather for that week. Uh, so oh, I always goodness. said the St. the St. Louis final four. And as I said, I have been to the final four since 1991. I've been to every one, but two, I think. And I think that was one of the best ones. Talk about say, can we get another one? Now that you're leaving and you don't have to do the work, can we ever get another one uh in St. Louis?
0: Probably not a men's final four because the dome is no longer able to uh it doesn't it doesn't have a full-time tenant, which which really hurts. Uh and the customized portable seating uh I think has been shipped out. Uh and, and it's not I don't think that's critical. I think we are we are still in the hunt for bids, uh for opportunities to host. The Sports Commission has done an incredible job, not only in basketball, but you look at the events that Frank Vivarito and his staff have brought to town. It's mind boggling to think of that. Yeah. Uh, but we were on we're on board to get a I think it's a 2025 event. We're hosting the first and second round. Uh, we were disappointed not to have more opportunities there. And I think it's important for, for civic and corporate St. Louis to align when we have bid opportunities to provide the best possible uh, you know, experience here whether it's having the hotel rooms that you need in place when the bids are, are sent out to lock into those hotel rooms uh, and contracts, so that we can bring large groups to, to St. Louis. Uh, but I do think with what what we've seen at the Enterprise Center, um, we're in, we're in a in position for the next decade, certainly, to bring in a lot of events. Looking past two thousand five, we're we're going to be in play. To bring an awful lot of not only men's basketball events, we could bid on a women's final four that would be played in Enterprise Center. And we've hosted two women's final fours in, in St. Louis uh, in the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, we're so centrally located. I, you know, I, I'm sh- disappointed that we can't get a men's one here because I, I I think, and I've been here for a number of World Series. I've been here for, you know, Rams uh playoff runs and send, I thought that Final Four was is, uh, was probably one of the best sporting events we've had in town, and really a, in a, since my forty years of being here in town. Uh, yeah, so, as you leave, Doug, tell me what what have you left for your successor? I mean, what, is there something that you didn't get done that you wanted to get done? Uh, that you the unfinished business of your tenure here that you want to talk about?
0: Yeah, you know, I think uh, you know I'm so thankful to the St. Louis Blues and Enterprise Center for extending our our men's contract here, uh, men's tournament contract. Um, that needs to be a major focus for our conference staff moving forward. Um, you know, I think keeping our women's tournament at a, at an initial site. It's it's in Moline, Illinois, which is a great place for that. Um, you know, bringing championships here. Golf, for instance, is, is coming here. One of our golf tournaments is coming here very soon. Uh, Where will you play I that?
1: Where will you play that?
0: Um, I'm embarrassed. I can't remember the the course that it's <laughs> at. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I do think that the the um you know just the opportunity to to keep our our championships vibrant and growing and and progressive and and um and, and revenue producing. Um I think we've got to do what we can to continue to um to, to find sponsors for our television, we we do over 800 live events a year for television that we produce either through, um, you know, companies that that, that are in the television television production business or on campus where each of our campuses can now produce uh, network quality uh, productions for for TV. So that's another important thing. But I, I just want to speak to the the new commish who's coming in. Jeff Jackson is. Um, Cornell graduate, what what league is that in? Bob
1: Cornell. I don't know. Cornell is that in the Ivies? I don't know. We we always said that was the state
0: school in the Ivies. (laughs) He played foot football and basketball. at Cornell. Um, He has worked at. He he spent thirty years as an assistant and head coach in college basketball. Spent all over the country at places like Stanford, Vanderbilt, St. Bonaventure, Furman. In his career, so he brings he brings certainly. Uh, a level of experience and insight that most conference commissioners never have, and that's an ability to coach and certainly to coach as long as he has. He's worked at two conference conference offices, the Big South, and now most recently at, at the Big 12 Conference in Dallas. He's the Executive Associate Commissioner. He'll start here formally on July 1st, but just a, a really bright uh, guy who's got great experience in the business, and I think we're going to see, um, I think he's going to really raise the, the bar here for this conference.
1: So, and 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 what, what advice have you given him? Watch Gary Roberts at Bradley. Uh, <laughs>
0: I can say Gary's that because I know Gary. <laughs> Gary's retired, of course. Um, Antitrust lawyer who, um, who you know well, I'm sure, Bob, right. from uh, your dealings with him in the NFL. Um, great guy, by the way um, you know I, I think I think we've we've I've given him as much background as i can on on what we've done what what I think we need to do moving forward um, you know i've I've always felt like it's a threat when a high level basketball coaching job for example opens and we might lose a coach we did we lost two coaches the, the women's coach at Drake um, has has left for another job uh the the Porter Moser, as you mentioned, has gone to Oklahoma. The Drake women's coach has gone to Oklahoma as well. So wow. we lose two of our better coaches. We've moved on to, to A5 opportunities. I've always viewed that as a setback. Jeff Jackson's coming here, in here saying, that's a positive. When you have coaches moving on to better situations, you're going to get the very best of coaches that want to come and coach in your league. And that's, that's probably true. Uh, and what's happened there, I know that the higher they made it, at uh, Loyola is is tremendous. Uh, it's it's somebody from the staff, um, and you know I think I think what we're going to see here is a continuation of of the league hiring great coaches, and certainly the the postseason success that we've had here. That's one of the things I'm proudest of. If you look at our two basketball uh, programs, men's and women's. Um, what our teams have done coming out of our two tournaments on the men's side, the teams that they've beaten in the in-state tournament. It reads like a top 20, it really does, it's crazy. You look at the brand names that they've beaten, UCLA, Louisville, uh, Oklahoma, Florida, on the men's side, Kansas, three times, once when they were the top team in the tournament. On the women's side, beating Duke, beating North Carolina, two teams advancing to the final four, Southwest Missouri State, a directional institution at the time, now Missouri State, of course. Uh, The success that they've all had in postseason. Really makes you understand that the NCAA tournament is is the the great event that it is because you only have to beat an opponent one time to advance and it's a it's a just the the best sporting event on earth i think other than maybe the olympics
1: well doug thank you very much for taking the time uh, i'm really he did say you you gave jeff a some advice on what he should do if you don't mind. Just share, give me, give me one piece of nugget that you said um, Jack, this is what this is what you've got to do when you get here. You know, it's it, it's at the top of my list. I'm not gonna get to it, but you gotta deal with it. Can you can you well, share that? If it's confidential, just say it yeah, out. No, no, this
0: is this this is ongoing and he knows it. I mean, he, he lives it. He he's been a coach. I said you've gotta to continue to to emphasize the importance of strong non-conference scheduling and If you have a team that's worthy of getting an at-large bid and have a terrible non-conference schedule, it doesn't matter how dominant you are in your conference, for the most part, in most cases. If you don't play good teams, strong teams, out of conference and beat some of them, you're not going to get into the NCAA tournament. So you have to to gamble. You have to take that that step of scheduling strong, and if you fail to, to win in those games, you know you have to win your conference tournament to get into the tournament. And say tournament. Otherwise, if you have a weak conference schedule, you can still do extremely well in the regular season in your own conference tournament. But if you don't win automatic qualification by winning your tournament championship, you're not going to get in the tournament. So I mean, it's it's a, it's that that's not that's not um, certainly anything that people don't understand. But it's it's you have to continuously push for that. I think in order for your your confidence, all your coaches, to feel confident, getting that stronger schedule. Your your institutions have to give your coaches more security and support. I think when they make that step, winning twenty games shouldn't be the goal. Winning, getting your team to have the highest profile it can possibly have with success and non-conference is really really important and a key to getting more teams in the NCAA tournament. Well,
1: that's great. Let me. Just, uh, my final question to you is. Uh, a broader picture than just the MVC, but you're kind of the college czar of athletics. What's the one thing that you need that needs to be dealt with in college athletics in the next well, 10 years?
0: There there are a lot of things. So there are just a whole bunch of touch points here. You got to, we, we need greater diversity and inclusion in, in all aspects of college athletics, hiring and opportunities and such. Um, we have to ensure gender equity across the board. Uh, I worry about sports gambling and the influence that it could have on collegiate sports. Um, you know, the name, image, and likeness um, legislation will, I think, put college athletics in a better place. Um, right now, there's there's a there's a lot of um, there's an impetus to um, change amateurism in college athletics, and I think name, image, and likeness doesn't have to do that. I think if it's a national standard. If it doesn't upset the balance that that we'd like to see that we'd like to think we have in college athletics and the rec- recruiting and the competitive opportunities, I think that that's certainly those are things that we really need to be concerned about. You worry about litigation and lawsuits in the industry uh, and we've we've got to do everything that we can to to avoid those types of situations.
1: Well, thank you, uh, Doug, Thank you very much for taking the time. I think our listeners. Uh, understand why you lasted 33 years in a profession that has a lot of turnover, uh, a lot of egos, Uh, your, your thoughtfulness, your reasonableness uh, clearly came through. So thank you for taking the time. Good luck in retirement. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll see each other. I think St. Louis will be, would be foolish not to tap into your expertise as a consultant (laughs) down the line and use you for, you know, the knowledge that you bring, so thank you very much. To our listeners, I just hope you enjoyed listening to Commissioner Elgin and got a sense of some of what goes on beyond the lines. If you did enjoy it in our other podcasts, you can provide your feedback by going to Apple Podcasts and going to the ratings and review section for our podcast. If you listen on Stitcher, go to stitcher.com, and if there's a topic you would like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you, Bob.